0: that I need to be watching out for? What are the situations that I need to like shelter myself from? Just in the same way that you would when you're recovering from eating disorders, figuring out wh- where am I, what are the pro- fear foods that I need to attack and what are the things that I need to like let sit on the back burner for right now until I'm ready to get to the next step.
1: Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast and I'm your host Emily Feichels. Things are feeling pretty good guys. Uh, this move to Austin has obviously had its hard and challenging times as I've discussed in previous episodes in a solo episode on the topic of loneliness, but in so many ways it's also just been like amazing. <laughs> it is such a great feeling a new chapter like a, a fresh start of freedom and now that I'm working out all the kinks of you know emotions and everything that comes with it like it just it feels good and I've never really you know discussed this I think I've sort of beaten around the bush but I've never just like full-on discussed it on here and it's it's hard to admit at times but you know living at home in a place where I you know I love it with all my heart favorite place on earth, like it's really, really fucking hard when you have an eating disorder that is triggered, I suppose, by certain places or certain people. And I know right from the bat that so many of you can probably relate. And, you know, it was just a matter of truth that living in my old home was creating so many triggers and stressors of my past and i think i realized with this entire covid 2020 be home all the time lifestyle i think i really started to realize how deep some of these disordered eating habits go and how you know they were being triggered by things still in my old life and i had to accept the fact that i still have work to do and while i was managing it okay living back home in pennsylvania Uh, Being here in a new place with a fresh start and no past like triggers or anything has just shown me how stuck I was in my previous place. And this isn't to say that you can't overcome, you can't recover if you're still living in a home or an area or with people that trigger you or that were part of your past. You 100% can. I've seen so many people do that. I'm saying for me personally, like, I just needed that, like, shift in perspective, shift in location, just to really, I don't know, like, feel that final, like, breakthrough of, like, I can do that. And it seems crazy to say that just, like, a move, a new location, a shift in perspective could create that type of freedom, almost, but it feels so true to me. I mean, like, I've already seen in just two weeks of being here how my relationship to food has shifted in so many ways and in in the positive, you know, since I got here and I feel so hopeful that this new chapter will be the push I need to just really work out the final little details in this recovery process, if you know what I mean. And for instance, last weekend, forget the dates, um, I went out to eat with a friend, hi Connor, and then we got ice cream and then I met with another friend, coffee and this was all within like a two hour time frame and you know I wasn't familiar with the places I didn't know ingredients or menus or anything you know like ahead of time but I just went for it and to some of you that might be like okay what's the deal like that sounds normal but for any of you that have struggled in the past or still are you'll probably like pick up right what I'm trying to say is the fact that I Was able to go out and enjoy all those delicious foods and drinks and time with my friends without overthinking about ingredients or the menu or like restricting before, restricting after. Like, that's huge. Like, the fact that I was able to be in the moment. And it, you know, I'll admit afterwards when I realized, like, wow, like, what a day. That was so fun. And I didn't have, like, I just enjoyed it. I wasn't overthinking, I wasn't lost in, like, the ed mental headspace that so many of us experience and that was just like a proud a proud moment for me and i i encourage you know you to do the same to try it out and if you have like a little win or if you're struggling whichever the case like i just want you to know that i'm here for you right so that's my little little update and if you go out and you have your own sort of win or if you're struggling like either way things happen like just I don't know just remember that we're all going through it you know what I mean (laughs) this is a crazy year crazy times and we're all struggling with things coming up from the past so I guess I just wanted to put that out there to be completely honest to let you know this is a safe place if you ever need to reach out I'm 100% open you guys know that and because it just does really align with today's episode. Um, we have another Emily on the pod today. So many Emily's lately. I'm loving this. It's like the Emily Revolution. Um and her handle on Instagram is at letus.thrive. Um, hello, I love it. Such a synchronicity. It's we were meant to meet, and I just I love this, you know. To Emily, sitting down for a good chat. It's a fire episode on all things ED recovery and health. So listen close. Uh, What I like about it is that Emily is an RDN. She's someone who has gone through, so she has like that health background. She's had her recovery experience and she is someone I just so greatly admire as being like fully recovered yet still committing to do the work, to share like severe admiration for her. And I connect to her stories so much. I love how similar we are. Um, Definitely meant to meet in this lifetime. And just another reason I'm so thankful for the power of the Instagram community. But back to Emily in this episode in particular, we do discuss her own experience with obsessive health, which led her to this present. Uh, And in that, you know, there were times with pseudo-recovery and how to have grace and patience for yourself and others during these times. We talk about the OCD, mental health realm of things in regards to struggling with disordered eating tendencies, which you guys know, I relate to, and I'm sure many of you do as well. Uh, We touch on how big life events or just, you know, the, the traumas that happen in the everyday life can trigger certain reactions, which lead us to go towards eating disorders, tendencies, habits for control. Neat little convo there. Uh, and then just some like really powerful points that I'm excited for you guys to listen to are when we discuss how society deems certain behaviors as healthy when they're actually not, what full recovery looks like, doing the work, and questions to ask yourself in regards to eating disorder behaviors and habits. So overall, lots of good conversation, lots of things to take away from this. And if you're feeling inspired, to maybe like take a step towards recovery or you are or you've already recovered or you're, you don't even know if you have an eating disorder maybe you just have some like weird fears around food whatever it is like this is a whole spectrum of people included in this conversation like let us know what resonated with you emily is on instagram at lettuce.thrive, let lettuce us as in the vegetable <laughs> linked below and i'm on there at emily faikels and at let's thrive podcast we would love to connect we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and as always if you have time to leave a quick rate and review it would be greatly appreciated or tag us on your story, share with a friend you guys know the drill so i appreciate you all and without further ado let's begin and you're an rdn and then you have your instagram like what drew you to this field of being an rdn and like what do you think is sort of like your superpower in this realm that you're in What drew me into health, I
0: think, was ultimately unhealthy behavior Okay. (laughs) Um, because I uh, originally actually started school to um, become a veterinarian. I was studying evolutionary biology and marine biology with the intention of becoming a marine mammal vet. And um, while I was there, it's kind of like was the height of my eating disorder. And I just had one of those like shower epiphanies that was like, wait, I spend literally all my time researching food. (laughs) I should probably just be doing that. And so, um, it's so funny that I'm in intuitive eating and like in dietetics now, because I think originally when I got into the field, I was like, I'm going to be a dietitian for the stars. Like it was like so far off from what I actually do or what I would even want to be doing now. Um, but yeah, so, you know,
1: (laughs) no, that's neat. I, I feel like I knew you were going to be a veterinarian, but I don't know if I actually did. So that's what I thought I wanted to do in college quickly decided that was not it, (laughs) contemplated taking the like RD or nutritionist route, ultimately decided college overall just wasn't for me. But anyway, I love that. And I know you're like a fellow animal advocate. I'm looking at your dog on your wall behind you actually. (laughs) So (laughs) she's giant.
0: It's the only like large photo we have in our house. It's just a huge portrait of her.
1: I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. I love it. So I need one of all my cats. (laughs) get this apartment styled up. Um, Well, you mentioned it there, you know, that you had this kind of unhealthy times with health, which is, you know, such a paradox that many of us go through. So I guess, you know, looking at it now, what does health, you know, in quotations, whatever that means, what does that mean to you specifically?
0: Um, I kind of like consider health as, like, a sum total of our well being. Mm-hmm. I think we divide it up and like attach it to other words, and we talk about our physical health and our mental health and our spiritual health. And like it's in reality, it's like a conglomeration of all those things. And it's actually pretty difficult to have one without the other or like a balance in between those things, because if you're having to sacrifice for one of those things, like in the grand scheme of thing your overall health is gonna suffer. So I think we see that a lot on Instagram, right? People that like kind of, quote unquote, let their mental health go to shit because they're so worried about their physical health. And it's like, you gotta figure out that
1: uh, really overused balance, yes. <laughs> overused word of balance. No, I mean, it's overused, but it's, it's also needed. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things, everyone knows, you know, like sleep's important. Everyone knows that balance is, you know, some idea, but it's like, it's actually true of like how many of us live this like very unbalanced life of, like you said, we're super hyper-focused on the physical or on like one aspect of health. And I had someone kind of similar to what you were saying there that she explained it to me as like a health umbrella, right? And it's like this overarching umbrella of health. And you know, some points in your life, you have to prioritize different aspects of it, whether that's mental, emotional, physical, whatever. Um, But overall, like you kind of want to keep everything, you know, in the scope and in your vision and not just let one take over or let another one slide completely off the face of the planet. So I, I love that. And I think that's something that a lot more of us could probably start to think of health in that way too, you know?
0: Yeah. It's like, and I think the umbrella is a beautiful analogy because it is the overarch, you know, that that's covering us and sheltering us and taking care of us. And, you know, in school, we like study Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so I kind of think we're like getting down to that bottom level and people, another, I guess one of my like health, like uh, the things that gets to me is people focus in so hard on like the one individual thing from like a minute scale of the one meal, instead of like the grand scheme of the whole diet or the one part of their body part that they don't like instead of their body as a whole, or even like from an emotional health perspective of like the one moment in your day that was bad dictating the whole day or like defining the whole week as you having a bad week. And so, uh, you know, like broadening it out, looking at the bigger picture of the things.
1: Yeah. Like, like a macro lens view versus (laughs) Micro. Um, And I think even like when we're talking in a bit about recovery, I think that's another important thing to remember because, right, like when you look at things at a minute by minute, day by day basis, it can be hard to say like, well, why would I be uncomfortable and break this disordered eating habit when it, you know, it's so easy in this minute, like, oh, like I'll do it here. But like, if you're looking at your life overall and you start to see like, Like you said, how many years, how much time you're letting go to disordered eating? It can kind of help put things in perspective. Of like, shit, if I don't get like myself together, I'm gonna spend an entire other year in this cycle. Versus like, if you're just focusing on that day to day like discomfort that can come from changing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's like if you're not trying to work towards it, you're already failing. You know, so yeah. So you need to be putting in that effort if you know you want to move the. The needle at all, really.
1: Now you mentioned that in school you learned—I already forget the name—something of of needs, like the, the hierarchy of needs or yeah. whatever. Could you like give just like a brief idea of what that is? Because I've heard of it, um, I just don't really know.
0: It's I mean, just, maybe I do,
1: but maybe I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's just the idea, and I think like I, I'll be
0: brief about this because it could get very political very quickly. Okay, um, that we need our basic needs met, like food and shelter and water before we can move up the pyramid towards like relationships and um spiritual health and so kind of getting those basic needs i see a lot of people get stuck on that bottom shelf and it's like we have access to all of these things or if you're lucky enough to have access to all of the ability to move up the pyramid you know you need to be kind of recognizing that's the bottom of it that's the biggest we're talking about the big picture here so um you know like i said i'm gonna try, try and cut myself off yeah here so i don't get political about it
1: no no that makes sense and i just yeah i wanted to give people like an idea of it and if it if it's interesting to them you know if they want to yeah. dive in um they can go look more at it but i guess you know maybe we sort of touched on this already but overall like in the space that you're in on instagram you see a lot of content you're engaging with people um also with the work you do day-to-day life whatever it is like what are some ways that you see people just sort of like misplacing uh, or maybe just not seeing like what it what it truly means to be well, right? Like to be well in life. Um, not necessarily like what society deems as healthy, but just like these ways that people sort of twist what it means to be well in life, I guess, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, uh, it's hard because, you know, I, I am constantly trying to give people grace on Instagram, despite my like inherent nature is, um, minimal patience. I love <laughs> it. <not> a patient <laughs> person. Um, but because you know, health is do- so different for everybody and it's different at every person's stage in the life. And I think, you know, we view it through the lens of where we're at. Like, we only know our experience and the experience that we've had. And so, um, you know, on Instagram, sometimes something that I see that can be really damaging is I'm so here for the body positive and the intuitive eating movement, but there are some people that you know are on step two of their journey and think that they're on step ten. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know. I know you've had people talk about the idea of like pseudo recovery. Mm-hmm. I'm of just gonna that mention that yeah. exactly in pseudo recovery and then marketing themselves as like a health coach or as an eating disorder coach. And I. I have a fear from that that you know more damage could be done than you know good in some mm-hmm. sense. Um, I think moving in the right direction is always good, but if you're moving in the right direction and you think you're at the end of the path and you're not, you can be unknowingly limiting yourself so but it is hard because I know that, you know, I was stuck in that pseudo recovery for a long time and I was giving people advice and I had no idea that that could be harmful. So it's important to give people grace on that. front.
1: Yeah. Well, I love that you're giving grace because I feel you. I'm, I mean, for as bubbly as like friendly as I seem on Instagram, I really do have like a short fuse and I'm not very patient. So (laughs) I love that. But also I, I agree. Like I, and that's something that was, it's funny, right? Cause like you don't realize you're in pseudo recovery and you're like doing everything. And in a way, like you are helping some people, there are some things you can offer advice and it's actually helping, but then there are still ways where you're like still spreading the seeds of slight disordered eating. You know what I mean? Like slight issues. And that can be troublesome, especially if you're going in as um like a quote unquote professional, right? Like as a coach or as a mentor. Um, And yeah, I think like the biggest chunk of that, the biggest piece is raising awareness. And I love that that's like people, like your account, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're always talking about this stuff, but you do bring it up. And that's what I try to do with the podcast. I try to own my own shit too, right? Like, hey, That I was recovered. Surprise! I'm not right. Like it's pseudo recovery, and yeah. I think even like bringing up those tough topics, um, and then having grace for people as they sort of figure out. You know, like is that is that what I'm in? Have I been doing this? Um, it's so important because that's like the first step to. I think really even moving forward right like you've got to be aware that something's even off kilter anyway
0: yeah and i think um something that's been really helpful for me and reminding myself of that and i would recommend to anyone listening and you and everyone to do this is um writing letters and or even like for me i started my instagram post like while i was in that pseudo recovery and so those little like um, archived highlights that come up it's like this day two years ago it's such a great way for me to be able to look back and see, oh my gosh, I totally thought I was in recovery and look at all these disordered thoughts that were in my posts that I was sharing to the world. And that's crazy. And I have like written letters um, to myself in the past that I can look on. And it's like such a, you know, it's a good, great reminder how far you've come that like will, you know, hopefully make you feel good in the moment, but also just a good reminder of you thought you were right when you wrote that letter so you know you need to be kind to the other people that think they're right too you know so uh, and also there's more than one definition of right so
1: oh yes 100 percent. but no i love that i mean i i know yeah it's honestly like that's my biggest issue right now with this podcast actually is because i'm i'm just not sure how i feel about some of my beginning episodes right like like you said even with your Instagram, like you were putting stuff out there that now you're like, oh, cringe. Why was I saying that? You know what I mean? And I'm the same way with some past podcast episodes from, geez, like 2018, you know? And it's it's hard because like in those instances, you even have to give yourself grace, right? Like I think a lot of people when you're recovering or when you're dealing with depression, anxiety, eating, whatever it is, it can be very easy actually to go into like a shame spiral um, thinking back on past acts, right? Like how you treated people or events you missed. Um, or in my case, you know, like conversations I was putting out into the world, um, or like things you're posting on Instagram. And I think that like, that's another instance where we could have grace for ourselves too. Right. Cause like, that's not going to do any good if we're just like shitting on our past self that we can't do anything about either.
0: Yeah. And it could be good for other people. I mean, if people are looking up to you for inspiration and then, um, they get, you know, in the let's thrive spiral and <laughs> they start going down and they listen to your whole episodes and they're like, look how far she's coming this time. And that could be inspiring to someone else. So
1: this is true. That is true. Actually. No, I like that. I just, maybe I'll do a little highlight episode of. This
0: also, is- Can we talk about how funny it is that we're both Emily and then it's Let Us Thrive and Let's Thrive? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. For
1: A, I have this weird thing. Like when I meet another Emily, I don't register that their name's even Emily. It's so weird. Because it's so common. I know. But the thing is, out of 105 episodes, it's only been in the past month that I've had, I had the first Emily on and then I had another Emily on and now I had you Emily on and I'm just like, it's the season of Emily. I love (laughs) it. And yeah, like it's so funny because on Instagram, I don't know, like I just, I either know people by their handles or I know them by their names. I've always known you just as like Emily. And so then when I was emailing you, I was like, oh shit. Her thing is, let us thrive. I was like, this is perfect. It's I meant know. to be. <laughs> I know,
0: I know. That's so funny. I was telling my husband today, he's like, what are the chances of that?
1: <laughs> it's meant to be. Well, we have to meet someday in person just to complete I
0: know. this. <laughs> no. I was really about to fly to meet you in Austin. Oh my
1: gosh, I would have, yeah. Well, I have space besides this closet. So come sometime or I'll be out to California. <laughs> yeah. The place is good. <laughs> yeah,
0: when it's not on fire. Yeah,
1: no, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess like going back a bit for you personally, like what do you think triggered your sort of spiral into disorder into like a disordered relationship with food, health? not really sure like what it was for you specifically, but um you know, I just once more like let's raise some awareness about some things that can kind of trigger or start these um, these hard journeys that a lot of us go down
0: uh I mean, as you know, it's kind of hard to like pinpoint it to yeah. a moment, um, but actually my story is somewhat similar to yours. Um, I, I started when I was seven, not my eating disorder, um, but when I was seven, my grandfather died. And it was just like the first death that I had really experienced. And I wasn't really sure how to take it all in. My parents told me, you know, he, he had, he, in reality, he had a heart attack, but my parents said, you know, he got sick and he died. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And then and then I was like, how do people get sick? Germs, obviously. And what do I need to do to keep everyone else in my life from getting sick and dying? And that just became like a compulsive hand-washing issue. Wow. And um, so uh, I just developed OCD like really quickly. And, you know, therapy taught me that I had a predisposition for that and something was going to trigger it, you know, irregardless of, um, you know, whether or not my grandpa died, it would have happened eventually. But um, so, you know, that was a rough for me. And I had a period where I was like washing all the skin off of my hands and I was having to keep my hands wrapped. And it really, you know, I lost almost all of my friends because I couldn't be around anyone without having a panic attack about them touching their hair or touching their ears or not washing their hands properly. And um so I went to therapy for that little bit and I got on medication. And I was on medication from seven to seventeen. Um and then when I was going away to college, I was like it was totally managed. I hadn't had symptoms in years. Um but I still had the medication there as like a security blanket and when i went away to college i said i'm gonna get off the medication my senior year of high school and that's when my eating problem started so the medication that had been kind of keeping my one anxiety disorder at bay started a whole new <laughs> anxiety disorder when i got off of it and then you know that in combination with going away to college so like big scary change you need control of things and then um on top of that i i grew up in orange county so you know, there's a lot of conversation around people's bodies. And I mean, not that that's not happening everywhere, but I just have so many little comments that are stuck in my head, you know, 15, 20 years later of, you know, someone in the Girl Scouts telling me, oh, it's okay, you'll just never be thin. Or, you know, when I'm like 10, (laughs) or, you know, being around a a table with a group of boys making fun of like a girl that's in the bathroom for eating too much bread or you know like all of those little comments that just um you know get to you and then my like justification for my eating disorder was um i was just trying to avoid the freshman 15 air quotes all around that (laughs) and um so i just got you know really into health and fitness while i was there and then i had a few more lifestyle changes that kind of caused things to escalate and I actually started dating my current husband um, in high school and my current husband as if there's be another one um, <laughs> um, but I actually started dating him in high school and we had broke up like just before my sophomore year of college and at that time, I was like kind of trying to manage the emotions of that and I was running a lot um pretty excessively and I got a really bad injury and my doctor was like, you're probably going to have to be in a wheelchair. Like, you're definitely not going to be able to run for a long time. And I just like broke down into tears because at this point I had been dealing with anorexia for about a year and a half. Um, but I just, re- you know, I was quote unquote purging through my exercise. So I, I, you know, the DSM de- definitions of eating disorders are all messed up, but the, I I was restricting and purging through exercise. So uh, we call that A and P, which is anorexia and purging. But I um, realized I wasn't no longer going to be able to use that form of exercise. And then that's when I, like, full blown, you know, started having purging episodes, like, on a nightly basis and having binges that were, you know, two full cartons of ice cream and a full container, like, carton of cereal and um that went on for like maybe four or five months and um then i came to my senses and i called my uh now husband then boyfriend up and cried him for him to take me back and that was at around the same position uh it really wasn't that dramatic uh i sent him a couple a couple dirty text messages and he took me back um, <laughs> but he uh I love it. Good man. (laughs) But um, but at that same time we were getting back together and trying to figure out what does this mean? And I had the epiphany, Oh, I'm studying nutrition all the time, completely unaware that I had an eating disorder, even though I was throwing up five nights a week. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm changing majors. Like it makes no sense for me to stay in school and waste money on credits that aren't going towards the degree I want. And so I left and I moved in with him and, uh, It was shortly after that that I realized I had a problem, Wow! far far later than it should have been, after many, many red flags.
1: I mean, that's how it always is. Um, But wow, I'm just, yeah, I was like speechless because if anyone, you know, is new to the podcast or they haven't listened, um, I don't even know, like, whenever I share my story, I always like miss out, keep out or lose important facts of it. And uh, like the catalyst for mine was similar to you where- my mom passed and I became obsessed with like, you know, when, before she passed and she was sick, like had cancer, my biggest fear was if I got sick, her immune system was so low, she would get sick. And, um, there were some very like close calls with that even happening. So yeah, same thing, like germaphobe to the extreme. Like my hands are still actually like, I, I'm very self-conscious of my hands because yeah, my, like the skin is never fully recovered. Um, It's bad. Yeah. It's so odd. Like I, I, I don't like my hands. Like even it's weird. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, so that is so like, just crazy. The similarities once more um, between us, I just gives me chills, but it just goes to show, like you said, how many of us, right? Like you said, it's hard to pinpoint that exact trigger moment. And it is like, I don't think anyone actually knows when their depression, anxiety, disordered eating begins. But I think a lot of us, like, we can see how it comes from this basic need of, like, control, right? Like, mm-hmm. we we fall into these patterns looking for control because they feel like we're controlling something, um, when in reality, like, the disordered eating, the germophobia, whatever it is, like, it's controlling you. Um, you know, it's, it's not like a, it's not a great relationship to be in at all. But um, I think that's so important to highlight, like, the way that you, found it as like your source of control and then also like it's interesting how like you said it kind of went from one into the other see it, it like phased right into the disordered eating and everything that came with that and you know as you said also like with the injury um I just like do you like do you feel like it was like you said, it sort of, it was like, you couldn't exercise anymore. So that, you know, like that pushed you into like the other extreme. And it just, I think goes to show like how deep these issues go, right? Like something as simple as not simple, I guess, but something like an injury that to most people would be like, how am I going to walk regularly? Like we tie it back to food though. Do you know what I mean? Like to most people, it would mean something entirely different. Yeah. But then to people with disordered eating and injury is actually like, I can't burn calories to, to compensate for the food I'm eating. Like it's such a fucked up mindset, but it's something that so many of us go through. Like I had a bad ankle thing in high school and I had this same thing happen where I freaked out for a while. And I was like, how am I going to equate the freaking calorie? You know, like the, the crazy thoughts we have in that sense. Oh yeah.
0: It's- Terrible. And it's terrible how common, I mean, even outside of having an eating disorder, I think that like just that's ingrained within our cultures. Those two, so two things are so tied to each other that um, it's, it's definitely a higher percentage of the population than, than just those of us that have had eating disorders.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, honestly, it's it's fascinating to me, you know, not in a good way, obviously, but how many women, especially, whether they're in like a professional sport college sport just like personal sport of running you know whatever it is with themselves how much worth we put into that movement and how many women sort of spiral after getting an injury like i can't even count how many people have had on the podcast and they're like you know and an injury was a massive point of their journey because it's crazy yeah. like we put so much pressure um and value right like into how we perform in that sense as well
0: yeah i do want to be careful about how i say that though because i I kind of like reflecting back and see that it might have seemed like i said things got out of control and i think that that just means things changed because just i changed my purging method i was the behaviors were the same throughout the whole experience and so um you know it's not like more acceptable. Well, it is more socially acceptable, but it's not better to be purging through running 10 miles a day than it is to be purging through throwing up. It's, you know, they're both forms of purging. They're both like ultimately happening from the same psychological issues. So uh, I just don't want to make it seem like the injury like was the catalyst to what started it because in reality it was, you know, pretty far towards the end of my like pre-pseudo-recovery recovery. recovery. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. And that, that is true. I guess. Yeah. I hadn't even like saw it in that sense, but it's true. And I think like, you know, even in the sense of pseudo-recovery, right. Where it's like, we think like when we replace one habit with another, that is more socially acceptable. I think that's like something big that does happen in the pseudo recovery. And something that I've actually been exploring recently is like for instance, like gut health or hormone health, or like how many ways we can actually just put like a new label on like sort of like orthorexia or on food mm. fears, you know what I mean? Like ways to get around it. Um, and I, it's really challenging. It's a mind fuck like me trying to figure out like what, what are food fears? What are foods that actually don't feel good? Um, like how to navigate it all when you do have some gut hormone issues so that's like something else too I think like what you were saying there you know the exercise not that it's any better than like actual purging but it is more socially acceptable and so it can oftentimes I feel be like a band-aid cover-up in that sense of like pseudo-recovery too.
0: A hundred percent and you know we I mean, for anyone who doesn't know the pseudo recovery is if you think you are in recovery or you are fully recovered, but you're still displaying disordered patterns and like a huge part of eating disorders is manipulation and being able to manipulate everyone around you understand to like, understand that you're healthy and you don't have an eating disorder. I had people coming to my defense, (laughs) you know, during my eating disorder and just saying, Oh, don't worry. She's, she's just really healthy. She's just a runner. She's just X, Y, Z. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, if I can just get back to that point, (laughs) you know, like it's like, if I could just get back to stage two, that's good enough. And to be fully honest with you, like, you know, I, so when I like actually decided I was going to start the recovery journey, um, it had happened because I, I, I read a book And um, I don't remember what the book was or where it came from, but in the book, somebody had an eating disorder. (laughs) And this was before Instagram. So this was my first exposure to anyone at all having an eating disorder. And I was like, holy shit, I have that (laughs) (laughs) self-diagnosed. We're doing it. And I wrote her a letter and I was like, oh my God, I'm experiencing the author. I'm experiencing all these things you're feeling. And um, this is so crazy. I thought I was the only one in the world that like, just had this food button that was on all the time. It's all I could think about all the time. And so it was the first time I'd seen somebody like that was openly like, yeah, this is what I'm dealing with. This is how I'm working through it. And um, I ended up writing her a letter, more to my letters. (laughs) Um, And I never sent it to her, but I did share it with Cody. Um, And it was kind of my like coming out to him, I guess. Uh, And That was, like, the point at which I decided, like, I'm trying to recover. And then I read that letter today, and, like, that letter was so sad. It's just, like, you know, I know that I will – I know that I'll never, like, be normal or I'll never be healthy or never – and it's, like, so sad to look back and see that we, you know, we don't see the other side of it, I guess. Like, you're so enwrapped in it that you can't see – the destination on the other side, or you can't believe that you'll ever get there.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, as we're talking about like pseudo recovery and all the ways that we like mistakenly think we're recovered, it is important to point out, like it is possible, right? Like it, it, like you can, you can look, you can in a year from now or a couple months from now, whenever, like look back and be like, oh yeah, like I, I was struggling then, but this is my now, like that you reading that letter, like it's testament, right? Like that's what I think I love about following you and just like even chatting with you now is that like, you're just such a prime example of like, it can happen. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like for all of our, this talk of pseudo recovery, like we're not trying to say it, it can't happen or like it just takes work. Right. And it's just like bringing awareness to what obstacles might come up along the way.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of introspection. And even though, like, I know it's controversial to say it, but I do say like, I am recovered. Um, Food is not dictating any part of my day at this point. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I still think about, I'm still analyzing all of my behaviors around food to constantly be sure that those behaviors aren't coming up. So, you know, when we go out to an Italian restaurant, and I eat the bread without the oil, I'm like, is this because I'm having a fear food moment or is this just because I don't want the oil? And then I'm like, okay, what's going on? And then I adjust my behaviors accordingly. And so, you know, those moments don't happen very often now. They have, you know, it's less and less and less and less as time goes on. To be honest, that was the first example that I could think of. And that moment that popped into my head was two years ago on my honeymoon. So, you know, those, those moments become less and less frequent, but it's just, you need to be catching yourself and catching those behaviors. And, um, I'm lucky. I think that part of my education really helped me with that. So I know the things to look for because there's small behaviors that we display, like tearing apart our food, right? Like tearing apart the bread roll at the dinner table. I know you did a more formal recovery. So you probably had that like watched a little bit more closely. Um, but just paying attention to those like small behaviors and okay, why am I doing this? What's going on? What's really the motivation behind this? Is this me? Like, is this where they really want? And uh, a lot of introspection over here.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, and I think that's important to like highlight because I know, in, like in the past, before I had really dived into what it what pseudo recovery could mean, I similarly just had this idea of like I don't know if full recovery is actually possible. But I think like where I was coming from with that was when people are sort of like marketing full recovery as just this like. I don't know, rainbows and butterflies situation, right? And it's like, oh, life is amazing. Look at this, full recovery. And like, yes, that's true, it is amazing, but like it does take work, right? Like, like it, it takes time yeah. and it takes like being like constantly honest with yourself, like you said with that bread example, or like something that I've heard a lot of people discuss lately, and something I still feel is like you go out to eat, and it's like, when are you genuinely craving like some good veggie-based meal? And when are you actually craving, like, I don't know, ice cream, whatever it is. And like, there's so many little times in the day when like, you have to do the work of questioning yourself, of being honest. And I think like, that's something I hadn't realized before with like full recovery is that it like, it can be full recovery and still include those moments of work throughout, throughout it, which I think you've done like wonderfully and I love that
0: (laughs) you have to learn how to do it right you have to learn how to recover and it's like anything else that you learn you have to keep up and like maintain it right if you learned a language and then you wouldn't just think okay I'm gonna have this forever you think I'm gonna need to continue to practice this I'm gonna need to continue to like keep that muscle sharp to be able to be in use when you meet meet it when you meet the French guy or when you meet the French fry you know (laughs) whichever scenario it is
1: Whichever one. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a one and done deal. Like you've got to stick to it. And I mean, like on that, I wanted to ask you, like, how have you like, what's been your experience with like the mental, emotional health side of things? Um, you know, probably like since you're covering, like, what have you noticed as a difference? Because similarly to that, like, I don't think anyone thinks of depression or anxiety or anything as like a one and done deal. Um, and so recovery really shouldn't be thought of in that way either. I don't think, right. Like it, It deserves just as much care and attention as um, depression, anxiety, any of those, because it's at its root, it's a very mental-based issue. And so um, I guess, like, what's that been like for you? Have you noticed, like, any shifts or um, developments, like, since you've really recovered in the terms of, you know, mental, emotional well-being?
0: Well, overall, I'm, like, a thousand percent more positive of a person, Um, just happier in general. But... I will say, you know, something that my, uh, I haven't, I keep saying my therapist. I haven't been to therapy in like six years. Um, But when I was in eating disorder recovery, she explained to me, you know, I explained, this is how my OCD impacted it. This is how my eating disorder impacted it. And she kind of said like, you're just predisposed to have anxiety. Like, that's it's in your blood. And like, that is something you're going to have to be working towards fighting all the time. And so professionally, as I've seen it with like eating disorder patients, I think people eating disorders usually fall to people that are predisposed to like compulsions, OCD, anxiety, or people that are composed predisposed to compulsions um, in the sense of like addiction. So it can kind of fall into both of those patterns, but personally it's definitely the compulsion and the anxious. Um, And so I very much still have the anxiety. I have like crippling panic attacks. I just um, two weeks ago was supposed to be going to a bridal shower for an Instagram friend. And um, I got to the shower, had a panic attack in my car. It lasted almost four hours. And then I didn't even make it into the bridal shower. I had to go home. So it's obviously something I'm still dealing with, but it's on a much less frequent basis. And Um, I have the tools to manage it when it gets here now. So I think that's kind of like the important and um, the triggers are different. So the things, you know, before the control and the food, the triggers stemmed in one way. And now I'm more aware of, okay, what are my new triggers? What are the things that I need to be watching out for? What are the situations that I need to like shelter myself from just in the same way that you would when you're recovering from eating disorders, figuring out where am I, what are the fear foods that I need to attack? And what are the things that I need to like, let sit on the back burner for right now until I'm ready to get to the next step.
1: Yeah. So. I mean, what's neat also, I'm sure you can attest to this is that as you recover, like as, as you keep recovering and as you keep doing the work, you're less likely to fall. Like when you, when the anxiety does come up or like depression or the panic attacks you're less likely to rely on those disordered eating habits or comforts um to sort of like quote-unquote fix the situation and you're more likely to like lean on the tools that will actually help in that circumstance right like instead of going on like (laughs) i don't know like some crazy crash diet or something to like deal with these emotions that come up you're able to actually implement tools or therapy or things that will actually help you and not just like cover up in a sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, unfortunately I just realized with that last panic attack, I have some work to do. (laughs) Um, because I am so lucky in that I have such a wonderful support system that on the rare occasion, um, that I do have like a gnarly panic attack like that. I usually have like someone I can call or somebody to help me. And I didn't in that situation, which is why it got so bad. But I think from, you know, an anxiety standpoint, recognizing like, okay, what works for you? For me, what works um, is breath work Um, and journaling, like writing out just like, or even um, if I'm so anxious that writing is not going to happen, I'll like just leave voice memos on my phone that are like vocal journals that are like, let me just get this out of my system. Let me get it out. Uh, Taking a walk like time outside always helps. Um, And for me, the water, whether that be like the ocean, the pool or showers, like I know that that's like my like little toolbox I have. And that works like 98% of the time. And then 2% of the time, you know, I just got to sit it out. But sitting it out now doesn't involve food. Sitting it out now just involves having a panic attack. And I used to involve food and a panic attack. So
1: (laughs) <laughs> still moving in the right direction yeah no it's like it, it's like there's a divide between it now and and it's true like sometimes you just can't do anything about it. like that's that's part of overcoming like ocd compulsive things right like i've similarly for me like when things come up it's like sometimes you just cannot fix it <laughs> nothing in the world could fix it you just got to sit and be with it and stop trying to control the situation um like in any way whatsoever so i love that and i Breath work keeps coming up for me. I'm taking it as a sign that I need to try it. (laughs) People keep mentioning how powerful it is. And um, I don't know, I've just, of all the crazy shit I've done woo-woo wise and (laughs) spiritually wise and, you know, body work wise, I've just never done breath work. So it's, it's, I will
0: say. In self-defense, because I try to not make myself a woo-woo person, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, breathwork is like I have had to call and, and like work with ambulances before during panic attacks and that's what they do. They, they take you through breathwork. So mm-hmm. if you have a panic attack and you call and you, are, you have to be communicating with a firefighter, they're counting your breathwork for you. And so, I mean... Obviously, it's powerful in some way. So, and maybe just knowing that is a comfort to me. Like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. This is what the professionals would be telling me to do. And that, even maybe that on its own is subconsciously comforting. But um, yeah, it's powerful. Oh, yeah. Work on oh, it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know, and I didn't mean to call it. I meant like of all the wo- like you know I've done
0: yeah, Chris, all I, this I, like other other all this
1: other shit, and I love I it. Know. there's a time and a place for it. But yeah, like that's what I do love about like breath work. Um, I Forget what. Oh, and like um, like the tapping. I've tried that before too. Um, I think they're both very like, like you said, it's something like a professional may use. Um, it's grounding. It's, I mean, I'm, there's has to be science showing how it affects yeah. the brain to make it work. So yeah, um, I think that's like a good tried and true thing that people could definitely check out. Yeah, um, and every, then I, it's
0: like everything, it's individual. Each yes. person's gonna respond
1: differently. They, everybody needs their own toolkit. hundred percent customizable. <laughs> um, so I guess like sort of closing things up here. Um, well, not really, because we have a bit to talk, but using, like, with your background in dietics, you've got a lot of knowledge, um, you know, and I'm sure there's been a time and a place where that, you know, sort of wasn't as useful in recovery in times that it was useful, but, like, overall, with the knowledge you have, the experience you have, I'm just curious, like, for anyone listening that just, like, maybe you just want to, like, bring awareness to it, like, are there any sort of like food myths or food trends that you would just be like open to discuss so we can raise awareness around them. And once more, everyone's unique. There are things that will actually work for people. There are things that will not work for other people. I just like to discuss these things with professionals because I think it is important to raise awareness around the fact that these these myths, these trends, these things that pop up all over social media, um, like they may actually not work for some people. And that's, Important to know because there's been times in my life where they were actually very detrimental to me. So I'm just curious, like, if you have any thoughts on that, anything you'd like to sort of share on that aspect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, comparing ourselves to people on social media is a bad idea. Um, but I also understand that, like, it, you know, it happens. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for me, the big, like, I guess, overarching thing that kind of would encompass everything that I say that I, or that people say that. Um, just from a nutrition perspective isn't valid is the idea of like, we need to cut things out and every diet, this is the whole idea around dieting, right? You need to cut out carbs, you need to cut out fat, you need to cut out X, Y, Z, you need to cut out grains, whatever floats your boat, whatever book you're reading that week. And, you know, if there wasn't, first off, we should be focusing on weight. Second off, if there was a miracle diet, it wouldn't be kept secret from us. (laughs) Third off, like, you know, focusing on all those things we're taking out is stressful for us. Our brain has to think, okay, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And that's stressful to us. That causes us to release our stress hormones, which just make us want those things even more to comfort us. So in general, it doesn't work. And so the idea of cutting things out, you know, if you want to focus on your health, like I'm a dietitian, of course I want to focus on health, but instead of thinking about what you're cutting out, thinking about the things that you're adding in. So, um, in the idea of intuitive eating they'll like last it's a 10-step program and the last step of it is gentle nutrition and that's supposed to be individualized and look different for everyone because as we said nutrition is very individual um but i always encourage people when they get to that step to not regress and think about taking things out right cutting out soda cutting out xyz thinking about what are we adding in like how about we talk about like if you're thinking, okay, I'm drinking two liters of soda a day, and I know that this is probably not great for my health. Instead of trying to cut back on the amount of soda you're drinking, talk, think talk, think about drinking a little bit more water. Or if you're, you know, worried that as you've gone through the process, you're like not getting enough nutrients. Instead of thinking about cutting the bread out of your meal, think about adding the vegetables in and building a balanced plate that way. And I, you know, in general, that's less stressful um and just easier to approach it's more flexible so when you're going out to dinner like you have whatever option you want and also everything's a guideline not a rule so and you're going out to dinner and you don't want the vegetables or the water screw them (laughs) have the margarita and the mac and cheese like it's it's a guideline it's not nothing's a rule nothing's black and
1: white here i love that yeah and i think like going back to what you said earlier about how It's so funny how like one bad moment, right? Quote unquote, bad moment in our day can ruin our entire day. Mm -hmm. Yet like multiple good things have to happen for us to say like, oh, it was a great day. Um, And the same with like food in this aspect, right? Like I've been there where it's like, you're trying to cut out foods for one reason or another. And it's so true what you said of like, even if like, no matter what it is, like when you have to quote unquote, like take something out or you're trying to cut it out of your life, your diet. Like that's all you can think about. It's like, you crave it. You want it. It's, it's like withdrawal and it's so odd. But when you switch that mindset of like, add in, like, it's such a more in my mind, like positive experience. And I, you know, similar, I had something with my dad, right. Where like, I wanted to just help him get some more nutrients in his diet. And I knew like, he loves sandwiches. He wasn't going to like give up sandwiches. I didn't want him to, but I was like, you could just add like two little things of lettuce there and look at like, you've done some, like you've added some more to it or like, you know, add some cheese or like some lunch meat here. Like there's so many little ways that you can like add things. And I feel like that's such a much more positive experience like you were saying. So I I love that you highlighted that because I think that's something that we don't think about enough, right? Like what can we add in versus just following like another guideline of what to, what to cut out or it's more like a rule book, as you said. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and
0: adding in, you're focusing on um, the, what, whatever you're viewing as good, right? So if you're adding something in, that it is like inherently focusing you to for, focus on the positive. And although I like uh, completely think that, you know, we need to remove the good and the bad labels around food, there's a subconscious part of you that's saying, okay, you want to add in vegetables because you are, know they are more nutrient dense and um, they make you feel good and you know there's benefits to them and so uh then you're focusing on what are all the positive things this food and this meal is offering me. Um, and that was like such a perfect dietitian thing. You know, you hit me h- home with my sandwiches cause that's my favorite food. <laughs> um, oh yes. I love you and your sandwiches. <laughs> but like, but for real, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not thinking about the mayonnaise or the bread. I'm like dope. I put a slice of tomato on there. You know what I mean? And, and every food is offering you nutritional value. You know, it's different. Some might have more, some might have less, but it's all offering you something. It's all fueling you. It's all helping your body run in the way that it needs to. So, um, you know, it's a good way to focus, focus on the positive. It's my whole life goal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. And as you're talking like right there, I was thinking how it almost, it also like helps to relieve any sense of guilt or shame, right? Because like if you have these rules of foods you've cut out, foods you're not allowed to have, the moment you like have it there's a meat like you can't even enjoy it because there's like, a yeah. guilt and shame around it versus adding in like there's nothing there's like no guilt or shame or anything like associated with that right like if anything it's probably like a little dopamine hit of like ding ding like I got my gold star right like I I drank the extra thing of water or I put the slice of tomato on like whatever it is so that's um that's like another thing too and as you said like trying to remove like the good or bad labels I I feel that it's it's hard, right? Like when it's such a subconscious thing and you see it everywhere and you hear it everywhere. But, um, I think it is important, right? Like removing those sort of food labels too.
0: Yeah. And it's difficult. I mean, to talk about even professionally, cause we've been talking about <laughs> eating disorders, this whole podcast and, you know, uh, when you're in recovery from eating disorder, the whole idea is you have to eliminate all the food rules. And so that includes that force, you know, adding in your vegetables, right? You need to be intuitively listening to yourself. So even something as basic as, you know, add some vegetables to one meal a day, it's like, you would think that that's like a pretty good piece of advice to give everyone, but it still depends on who you're giving it to. So, uh, it's a hard thing about Instagram or whatever, when you're speaking broadly to a population, you're like, I, you know, mm-hmm. you're speaking to a particular audience, so right, we know that a lot of the people that follow us are have a history with an eating disorder, or, you know, we have to be careful about saying those things. But same thing with just nutrition in general. And even in the office at work, right? Like talking about the good or the bad, or I know, and um, you've waited tables and like, <laughs> I'm sure that that moment, I also um, for many years waited tables in the moment of like all the three ladies sitting around the table. They're like, should we be bad and order some fries? And I'm like, stop using that language. (laughs) Like, You are not bad for ordering fries unless you stole them. You're good. (laughs) Calm down. So um, yeah, removing the guilt because it is so sad. And especially now being in a point where I don't have guilt around anything I eat. It's crazy that I mean, I don't, I could count on one hand how many people in my life I know that can honestly say they don't have guilt associated
1: with the food they're eating. And that's so sad. Yeah. I mean, even the people we think of as like normal eaters can have, you know what I mean? Like my brother oh, yeah. and dad will still say yeah. stuff. And I'm just like, and it's funny because they say it. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, just enjoy the pizza. Like, you're fine. <laughs> right. And then, like, five minutes later, I'm like feeling guilty about, like the pint of ice cream I just ate or whatever, like whatever it yeah. is, right? Like we- yeah. easier said than done. Yeah, right, like we, we can see these things in others and then meanwhile, we're just like la da along. Um, but what you said, like I wanted to circle back because once, like it's a part of my journey, I just always forget to like even bring up, I was probably like subconsciously blocking it. But um, when I was getting into like my obsessive, you know, with like health, how can I not get cancer, stuff like that, I had stumbled upon a blog she was like a nutritionist, dietitian, and her, she was running this, like, um, it was like an, a challenge to like add in foods. Right. Mm -hmm. The challenge was like to add in a vegetable to every meal. And that was huge to me back then because I wasn't eating like any vegetables. And I was like, Ooh, so, you know, it started out as something so well-intentioned and I I felt, you know, I did feel good. Um, It was probably, you know, best, I guess, overall for my health, but it did create an intense, like, obsession of me of like associating meals with vegetables as inherently being a hundred percent better. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's something I've still struggled with even to the day where it's like, I, for some reason, just place this like gold medal moral values to any dish with vegetables. And, um, it's actually been funny, like going through my gut issues of realizing like how the vegetables just like mess up my gut, right? Like they don't actually feel all that great in my body. Um, I cannot do raw vegetables at all. And so it's been funny to see like that obsession, right. Of like a vegetable at every meal. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's not quote unquote like good. Um, And sort of learning over time that like, that's just such a, it's such a label. It's just like another way of like covering up these habits. So I love that you brought that up and um, it's yeah. Good that we discussed that because anyone listening, like it's also important to remember that too
0: yeah there's every, no gold star food exactly
1: nope <laughs> for everything um we discuss like just take it as your own and um never blindly follow something so <laughs>
0: <laughs> very much so um
1: so i guess just like wrapping up do you have any like la- final um just sort of like advice or, or words of wisdom you like to share for someone who's you know maybe they're thinking they might have some issues around food or health, or um, maybe they know they do, maybe they're in the recovery. Uh, just anything you'd like to really just share with people that, you know, might hit home, might resonate.
0: Um, one, I think, you know, if you're lucky enough to have the option, like reaching out for help or to your support system, that 150% was the turning point for me. And having knowing that I have people that I can trust to lean on, like, you know, nothing's more important. And I am like very much a proponent of, I don't have a big group of friends. I have, you know, my husband, my family, and a couple friends that I know will be there for me when I need them. So trying to find those people if they're not in your life or reaching out to those people, if you have them. And then to just like taking a step, because once you recognize you have a problem that, like realization can be so overwhelming that you can kind of paralyze yourself. It's like a a weird form of decision fatigue. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that whatever that step may be, if that's, you know, reaching out to someone, if that's calling a helpline, if that's um, DMing a stranger on Instagram who seems like they know what you're going through that you think can relate, if that's, you know, going online and finding resources, not going online and finding the solution to your problem, because oftentimes what's online is not correct. Um, and you know, I know not everybody has access to a therapist or a dietitian. Um, frankly, I don't right now. <laughs> um, and it's something I'm working through. I'm sure my husband has to hear a lot more of, uh, <laughs> my, what should be let out in therapy than he wants to, but, um, yeah, just taking the step forward. Cause if you're not if you're not like trying to help yourself, then you've already failed. So got to keep, keep moving forward and recognize that it's not going to be a linear path.
1: I love that. Yeah. Even just like one, one step, one step at a time. Yeah. You can do it.
0: Even if um, it's one step forward, two step backwards, you can feel good about yes. knowing that you did something
1: for yourself. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's like, at least for me, that's like been a big part of recovery, honestly. It, you know, it's like you take one step up, and then kind of stumble back a few. And then you take another one, and you get there. You get there. It takes time, patience for yourself, grace for yourself. Um, but I love it. So, where can people find you? Follow along. Uh, I absolutely adore you and everything you share. So let's let's spread the word. Um, I am on Instagram at
0: LetUs.Thrive, and that's us like the vegetable. And um I do have a blog. It's let thrive.com. And yeah, that's it. Wonderful.